Okay, so you've got Luke uh, chapter 7. Let's just walk through this account and comment as we go. So in verse 7, when Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. Well, Capernaum is a uh, fishing, farming village on the northern edge of the Sea of Galilee. It was under Roman occupation. It said Jesus had finished saying all these things. What things were those? Well, if you have time, I suggest you go back and look at chapter 6 and see what was going on. But in summary, Jesus had spent the whole night in prayer. And then in the morning, he had appointed the 12 apostles from those that were following him. He taught about the Sabbath. He taught about loving your enemies. He taught about judging others. He told parables about trees and fruit and about building on a foundation. So the people that were following him had heard all of this. And it says here they were listening Jesus had their attention. Verse 2, there's a centurion. There's a, sorry, there, a centurion's servant whom his master valued highly was ill and about to die. Well, I don't know what image you have of a centurion. Um, You've seen one this morning with a nice foil helmet made out of pizza boxes. But it probably comes up an image of someone who's probably a bit rough, certainly a man of battle, I don't know what adjectives you would use if you were describing a Roman centurion. Well, I've got a sound definition for you here of kind of what they did. They looked after not 100 people, typically 60 to 80 soldiers. Generally, they would fight alongside these legionaries that they commanded, and usually they led from the front. They led and they inspired their men by example, and it's probably for this reason that they often suffered a disproportionate number of casualties. I wonder what adjectives you would use to describe this particular centurion, bearing that in mind. Well, we'll see shortly. He had a servant who he valued highly, it says there in verse 2. And we can only imagine that he grieved at his servant's suffering and the fear of his loss. Illness affects relationships. Where there is love, there is pain, very often. We're not told what this illness is, but we know that it was very serious. So in verse 3, the centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders. I'm going to have an enduring picture of um, Philip with that beard. He sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. Well, he'd heard of Jesus. We don't know how particularly he heard of Jesus. But if you look in the Gospels, I'm reassured that there are at least nine references in the Gospels to the news of Jesus spreading in the region, whether that was Galilee, Syria, Judea, there are other places named. So he'd probably picked up something of what was going on because where Jesus went, there was healing very often. He sent the elders. So he's a man of action, a man of authority in the Roman army. He sent the elders. And what did he ask them to do? Well, he asked them to ask Jesus to come. And this is, I think, uh, we'll look in a moment, um, maybe how this story applies to us. And this is, I guess, an early um, flag to, to put up here, that asking isn't wrong. We're told to ask, seek, knock, aren't we? And here the centurion asks. He sends the elders to go and ask. And to do what? That Jesus may come and heal. Apparently to do for his valued servant what he had heard 
that Jesus had done for others. So what happens? Verse 4, well the elders, they came to Jesus and they pleaded earnestly with him. This man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation, has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. They came to Jesus. This is almost a picture of intercession, going to one on behalf of another, the elders going on behalf of the centurion. They pleaded earnestly. This was more than just passing on a message from the centurion. This man deserves. I think we probably all have our own sense of who deserves what and who doesn't deserve. And then it says Jesus went with them. Verse 6. I don't think that he went because he deserved it. Interesting to know what you think of that. The grace of God and the mercy of God are both completely undeserved. Verse 6 carries on. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. So here, Jesus was not far from the house. We know later, as we read in this account, that the crowd was still with him. So he wasn't just going on his own with the elders. There was still a crowd following. The centurion had sent elders. He now sends friends. I wonder whether as a military strategist, you know, he knew what his best chances were. Send elders. He would empathise with them. Send my friends. But I think there was something deeper going on with the centurion. I think there was a, an unworthiness in his heart. I think he recognised that yes, he was a man in charge of men, but Jesus was a man in charge of something much greater. He knew his weakness and he knew the superiority of Jesus. But say the word, says in verse 7, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes. I tell this one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this. He does it. Say the word. The centurion, as Jesus comments later, he had an extraordinary insight into the power of Christ. Say the word. We've mentioned already that he's a man under authority. He had power over men, but Jesus had authority over illness. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him, in verse 9. Turning to the crowd, following him, he said, I tell you, I've not found such great faith even in Israel. He was amazed. Such insight was rare. He turned. This was a, a lesson, I think, to those that were following they were following Jesus probably to see the wonders. But Jesus perhaps was teaching them a lesson here. What about the one performing the wonders? The centurion had seen it. More than just the wonders themselves. And then Jesus commends the centurion such great faith because he had trusted and he believed in Jesus' authority. There's no record of actually what Jesus said. The centurion said to say the word. We're not told 
what he says. But then in verse 10, then the men who had been sent returned to the house and they found the servant well. Imagine the rejoicing in that house. So there's the account. Addressing this subject is challenging. We all have experience of healing, whether as a child you fell off your bike and you grazed your knee and within a week there was almost no mark of it, whether you cut your finger doing the vegetables. We've seen healing in our own lives and God has designed into our bodies a capacity to repair and renew, to deal with infection and damage. Specialists in medicine, they harness what God's already designed into the human body. And in our prayers earlier, we we prayed and we thank God for them. So the business of healing is the domain of God. There's no question. But some illness overcomes the body. And if you look back at your life and the life of others, we may have heard of God intervening miraculously in the lives of others. We may have experienced this firsthand. Or we may be despondent that we've prayed for healing for ourselves or for others and God seems silent and the circumstances haven't changed. So this subject of healing is very sensitive as it's tied in with the whole mystery of suffering. How does the way Jesus healed in the Gospels apply to us today? We know that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, forever. There's no change in his character or nature. He's he's a visible likeness of the invisible God. He's unchanging. Well, we are encouraged to pray for one another. And I'll just read from James 5, verse 13, a couple of verses. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let him pray. Is anyone happy? Well, let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you ill? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And a prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they've sinned, they'll be forgiven. Therefore confess your sins to one another. Pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And there will be an opportunity shortly to call on the elders of the church to pray over you. What I take from those verses, there's obviously a lot in there, but one thing is that there is healing in communion with God in prayer, which is different to just asking God for healing. There is something about being in the presence of God, whether you're alone or whether you're here with his people, that it's a place of healing in whatever form that may take. So this takes us to an even greater mystery, um, the mystery of prayer and the mystery of suffering combined. When we ask God for healing, what are we doing? Are we asking him to change the situation? To intervene? The centurion that we've read about, he certainly did. Are we asking God to change us? how we think, feel, act in relation to our suffering or the suffering of others. I think both are true. Now, a really big question. So why do we suffer? Why do we get sick? Well, I'm 
up here, so this will be relatively straightforward and simple and won't delve too deep. But I think there's three things that might help us think about why we suffer. And these are rooted in the Bible. It can be, and this might surprise you, the result of obedience to God. As we step out in faith, as we share the gospel, as we attempt mission, you'll know more acutely the spiritual battle in which we're engaged. And there's a book I've um, been dipping in and out of. It's called The Radical Disciple by uh, John Stott. And there's a section in there where he talks about Adoniram Judson of Burma and his wife Anne. And it's an interesting account. They translated the Bible into Burmese and they saw great fruit after many years. But John Stott emphasised they were plagued with illness. Obedience to God, but they were suffering. As we said, it's a mystery, isn't it? Why else do we get sick? Well, it can be, and the Bible's getting quite clear on this, on the other extreme, can be the result of personal sin. And as we know from the account of Job, we must be extremely careful of looking at anyone else and drawing that conclusion. That's a personal thing. But it can be the result of sin. The Bible links the two things, forgiveness of sins and healing. They go together. And thirdly, suffering is a painful reality of living in a fallen world with all its imperfections, all its apparent unfairnesses. The sun shines on the righteous and on the wicked. The rain falls on both. So suffering does remain a mystery. There isn't an explanation that's simple. So we turn our eyes to Jesus, not our illness, not our suffering. We depend on his sustaining power to endure. He knows suffering like no other. He's endured suffering like no other. And we are becoming more Christ-like and the mysterious part of suffering that suffering plays in that process is understood fully only by him who knows all things. So we submit to him, seeing ourselves as one under authority. And I believe we pray for healing in this context. Not that God will simply remove us from the fire of suffering, but as Charles Colson, the famous author and broadcaster, said, when reflecting on Isaiah 43, he says, Jesus does not promise to get us out of the fire, but promises to get into the fire with us. The waves won't overcome you, the fire won't burn you, for I'm with you. As part of the, uh, the studies that I'm doing at the moment, um, I'm looking at international studies, and I've had, been able to read the uh, Declaration of Independence for America and their constitution. It's all been very interesting. But it's about a nation saying, actually, I want independence from British rule. I want my independence. I want to rule myself. And probably for good reason when you read the background. But Declaration of Independence. I want to encourage us to make a declaration of dependence on him and to another extent on each other. To be vulnerable, like the centurion, to be humble. See, when we look at Jesus, this is we draw to a close now, as we look at Jesus, the suffering servant, he wasn't spared the suffering of the cross. 
Paul, he asked for prayer three times for healing from this thorn in the flesh. It was some physical affliction, but it remained. There are accounts where God intervened and changed the circumstances and other accounts where he didn't. We're reassured, though, that we won't be tested beyond what we can bear. So as we come to prayer, we can all pray. We are encouraged to call on the elders. The elders have no special power. They're humbly seeking to stand with you and petition God with you to pray over you in Jesus' name. Now, it would be very easy, out of fear, potentially even out of pride, being vulnerable, being humble, not to respond. So I'd encourage you not to miss out on the blessing of being cared for by others, because vulnerability is part of that, I believe. So here are four things to consider, and I'm sure you can have your own thoughts very much on on this subject that's very real to us. Come humbly to God confessing our sin, dependent on his grace and mercy. Ask God to change our situation. This isn't wrong. We've seen the centurion asked. Jesus asked for the cup to be removed. Then ask God to change us. Make us more Christ-like. For as long as our condition continues and to give us his strength to endure and show us more of his grace and his mercy and finally leave the outcome to him trust him and know that he's in the fire with you there may be those this morning who um, have become aware of their independence um, and their sin, and might not be Christians, but might feel, actually, I am very independent, and I want to depend on God for the first time. Repent of their sin, receive him as Lord. Well, take this time that we have in a moment to do just that. If you feel this morning this isn't something for you personally, then you can pray quietly for those you know who are living with illness.